Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Harav Johnny Solomon. Rav Johnny, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm very, very well. Thank you. That's great. Rav Johnny teaches at Midrash at Lindenbaum, MTV and Matan. He edits at Mosaic Press. He virtually rabbis. <laughs> Sorry. I told my kids... That's, no, that's perfect. Rav Johnny, how is virtual rabbi going? Uh... <laughs> Helping a lot of people. I is that a computer voice? Did you? Did yes, it was. I was okay. I, I got to think of a better way of saying it. He independently <laughs> consults educationally. He writes a daily thought on Daf Yomi and he postakes to his local show in Evan Shmuel. We just finished. Hawkins. We just finished uh, Sukkot today, right? Ah, oh, by the way, I heard a great vart on Bilga, and somebody, I, I, somebody, somebody sent it to me. A great vart on the, on the whole story about that. Um, but maybe I'll share it at the end. Miley Brabski, Rabbanit, how are you? Baruch Hashem. Harabinit social works clinically as a pri- in private practice in Gush Etzion. She's also serving as the field advisor for Ayers Works the School of Social Work in Israel. Uh, that's all I have for you. Anything else? That's, that's it for now? I mean, um, in general, I um, am in the world of Jewish education and uh, speak and lecture and teach on Tanakh, Machshev Israel, and mental health and the interactions between them. Rabbi Bravsky, do you do uh, scholars in residence? Are you available for scholars uh, in residence? Theoretically, except that, uh, well, let's just leave it as theoretically, yes. Would you travel during this year? Would you travel? I don't know. That's why I'm leaving theoretically. <laughs> okay. Um, I am Ruven Spolter, the director of the Rimonim teacher training program at Herzog Academic College in Israel. He is, I am the, he is, I'm reading, I am the show chief representative at SOHAR <laughs> for English-speaking countries and the founder and director of Kitar.org, a Jewish online classroom for families. We've started our semester. If you know of a family, please send them my way. These kids are not in Jewish day school. Many families, we should talk about this, many families, um, for many, many reasons, send their kids to non-Jewish day schools, to public schools, especially in the United States. And uh, we offer chinuch solutions, meaningful chinuch solutions for those children. Okay, today is, we're now, we're, in the, we're smack into slichot. We spoke to, uh, we spoke about slichot last week. We're in the middle of the slichot season. Rosh Hashanah quickly approaches. And Molly, 
I'm not ready. Do you, do you feel ready? No, I do not. I don't right. ever feel fully ready before. But right. yes. So we're here to talk about that that mm -hmm. challenge, a challenge that tshuva is coming, and we don't really know exactly how to prepare for it. So we're going to talk to Rav Johnny. We're going to talk to Rav Johnny to sort of give us a very brief synopsis, some some tips, some thoughts about how to prepare for tshuva. I normally try to you know, read screw tape letters, but that doesn't really work. And then I often find myself, when you find yourself, I find myself basically an Erev Yom Kippur because of my, my, my predilection to procrastinate, my procrastination predilection. I find myself in Yom Kippur saying, oh, no, I really got to sit down and like figure this out. And I try to sort of go through my year and try to figure out what happened in January and it doesn't really work very well. And, you know, and then you end up basically doing the Alchets with the same list that you had last year that you stuck in your Machzor and you're reading the back of the art school Vidui. And it, it's meaningful and it's important. But I think all of us are sort of searching for something more, searching for strategies and thoughts and ideas about ways to, ways to approach this season. So we'll start with Rav Jani. I'm just going to say, at the end, after the break, we'll turn to some interesting tshuva conundrums. But let's start with Rav Jani. Jani, what do you think about this? Can you give us some thoughts about how to prepare for the tshuva season Okay, so there's a clip that I watch every Elul since the first time I saw it, maybe six years ago. In fact, you've reminded me to post it, and it's one that I discussed in the Shia just a few days ago at Matan. It's a remarkable clip of a pianist called Maria Jean Pires, who was supposed to be playing the piano as part of a concerto in with the Amsterdam Symphony Orchestra. And she came and she thought she was playing a particular concerto by Mozart. And then the conductor started to lead the orchestra. The conductor was called Ricardo Chaili. And immediately she realized that they were playing music that she hadn't prepared. They were playing a different piece than the one she expected to be playing. And this video of uh, this orchestra is available online. And you see her do this remarkable face palm, like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm not sure that's the word that went through her head, but okay, yes. Well, well, well the, when I watch this every Elul because that's how I feel when I hear the Kola Shofar. I say, oh, my gosh, I've been, it's been like a whole year since Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. I thought I was preparing for the big days. And all of a sudden, I can hear that music. I can hear those notes. And I feel totally and utterly unprepared. You know, it's really, it's really interesting when you say that because, like, on the one hand, Rosh Hashanah is Yom Hadin. You, you know what I'm saying? So, like, the shofar is not there to call you to get to do tshuva because you should have done it beforehand because you're being judged today. But on the other mm -hmm. hand, Yom Kippur is coming and you've got, like, 10 days. All right, I'm good. You know, even if I didn't make it, I got 10 days to figure it out. So, good point. Right. Well, it's from the shofar of Chodesh Elul, obviously, as, as coming up to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Well, something beautiful happens in this clip, and this is what I discussed in the shield. For those who are interested, I'll happily send the Duff McCorrot. So she kind of has frozen, um, is totally paralyzed, realizing she's unprepared. And she calls out to her friend, the conductor, I, I, I didn't prepare this piece. Now, he knows that she played this piece that he's playing now last, uh, last uh, season. He knows that she knows the notes, but she doesn't necessarily remember it that well. And rather than ending, rather than apologizing to the audience who are there, he coaches her. He says, I, I think you'll do well. And she says, I'm going to try. 
And the most beautiful thing happens, which is she plays, and she plays every note right. And I view Ricardo Caccelli being a representative in this metaphor of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We come to the Yamim Noraim, we feel that we're not prepared, and God coaches us to have self-belief that we have the clarity of who we should become within. And that's really the process that I go through every Elul, Roshana, Yom Kippur, and as I explained, the way uh, of Soloveitchik, the way of Cook describes not just Truva, but the very Jewish soul, is that we have Truva within us, we have the voice of God within us, our nefesh, our neshama, speaks to us and gives us uh, direction and understanding. And what we need to do is plumb uh, within ourselves, hear that voice, and start playing those notes. And so that's the emotional, spiritual journey that I go on every year, and that's a clip that I watch to get me into that process. Molly, I'm a very technical person. How do you see the process? Meaning <laughs> the, the inspiration is important and critical, as Johnny mentioned. What's your process? Okay, so first of all, I just want to say, when Johnny started mentioning his cliff, I wanted to just tell Johnny, I think I spoke to you, I told you last year, I gave a share last year on what I called mindful tshuva, and I opened, I was so moved by that clip that you had posted on Facebook, that I opened with your, um, with that clip, and because I thought that was, it was such a powerful way to convey the message, because I think my process is similar to Johnny's process, in the sense that my fundamental belief about tshuva um, is similar to what Johnny said. But before I, I get to that, I want to say one other thing, which is I think that that um, what Shuva demand, yes, you're, you're a practical person, Ruby, and I respect that. And I, I think everybody's process may be different. But I think that one of the, one of the things that's important to recognize is that it, it, the process is a very individual one, and it's about having the bravery to look at ourselves. And, it, you know, it's easy to kind of, like, go to, like, these rote things. As you said, I'll read through the Vidoy, or I'll read Screw or I'll read Hilchus Truva by the Rambam. And I think and all those things are important, and they may facilitate, but the real work, the painful work, the hard work is, 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 this, is the terrifying work of looking at our souls and looking at where, like, where our souls are, and knowing because it's it's the human condition, knowing that our souls could be in a, in a state that is so much more spiritually aligned with God, and that's a painful thing to recognize. Um, now, I, I also got this is what what I wanted to say that I agree with Johnny. I I um, when I relate to Chuva, I do. I do relate to the idea, and, and I want to say this as well. I was I, I, I went to Slichos at Delos this week. One night, I managed. I took a nap in the afternoon. Managed to go. Um, and um, Harabani Dina, I don't know her last name, but her name is Dina, and she, she um, teaches in Megdalos. She teaches Shadabet. She teaches Machshava. She gave a beautiful Sicha, and I just want to say one thing that she said because it spoke to me. It was, it was an encapsulation of the point that I want to make. And I also loved it because it was a very feminine idea. Um, she said, imagine, she said, we're children and we leave our family's home and we go out into the world and we're wandering and we're finding our ways and sometimes we find the right way and sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we lose our way. But God is like the, 
and you could say parent, but I'm going to say mother because she's a woman and I'm a woman, and that was the image that she used, and we have that Aim Sisra female image on, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. God is, 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 is that type of parent. Like, the same way a mother is basically, when the, when the child is out of the house, the mother is, is kind of standing at the door, standing at the window, always waiting and hoping and longing for that child to return. And always wants what's best for that child. And if the child makes mistakes and if the parent has to discipline, so, so that the parent will do that, but that, that's not what the parent wants. What the parent wants is for the child to succeed and for the child to come home and for, and, and for the, the opportunity to have that close relationship. And, the, and that image of like, that's what tshuva is. Like, I thought that was such a beautiful image, at least for me, of, of what tshuva is about. It's, about it's, it's, it's the parent waiting for, he's just, think about how you, how we as parents, all I want when my kid goes out, all I'm waiting for is, is, is to know that they're back in the house safe and well. That's how Kaddish Baruch Hu feels about us. So to me, that was very powerful. Now, why am I sharing that? Because I think that when you asked Ruby, how do we do this very difficult inner work, right? I think, I think A, we have to, as I said before, we have to have the courage to like face ourselves, look at ourselves. But I think what will help us face ourselves and look at ourselves is A, an approach that's not um, punitive and scary and Yom Hadin, but an approach that really remembers that what we're returning to is a loving God and what, and what we're returning to is our best self. That's what we want, right? We want to be our best selves because we know that when we are our best selves, morally, ethically, um, spiritually, we feel good about ourselves and that enables a, a loving relationship with the transcendent, with, with God, with, a, with, with that spiritual being, and there's no greater happiness than that. And we all know that because we have those moments that we're blessed with what, who knows how often, sometimes once in a lifetime, sometimes once a year, sometimes more, but we know that there's no greater joy than that if we've, if we, if we've, if we've experienced that. And so that's to, to, to remember that like, okay, I'm doing this hard work, but I want to frame it in the, I want to wrap it in the envelope of it's, it's hard and it's scary, but, but really because the goal that I want to get to is so worth it because it's going to facilitate a relationship with God. Um, so I'll say one more point and then I'll you know, throw it to you, Ruby, which is therefore, because this work is so real, I think, and because it, it necessitates us to be so real and so present with where we are right now, today, this year, this is not last year, right? And my challenges are not last year's challenges and I'm not the same person I was last year. I think the challenge you said practically is what's going to be my avenue in this year? And we have to search for it, right? Like, like, is it going to be the screw type letters or like I've done the screw type letters too many times? Am I going to pick up, am I feeling like I'm in intellectual mode? And so I'll pick up, you know, Rav Lichtenstein's, you know, work of on, on repentance. Um, is that not what's going to do it? Do I really want to go and sing a lot? Do I want to put, you know, we have a playlist. Do I want to listen to music? Um, do I want... Uh, like, like, what's fresh for me this year that's going to work? So, so I think that, like, that's a challenge. But I think that 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 my answer would be find a fresh, al something that's alive in your life that's going to be your pathway into asking yourself those questions, 
and wrap it in an envelope of understanding that this is not a this is not an easy process, but it's a process that's motivated by love. It's motivated by a desire to have a relationship, and when relationships, it's like a marriage. When when there's conflict, so then the barriers are up, and it's hard to work on those barriers and 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 to overcome those barriers and to break down those barriers. But it's worth it to do the work because what you want is that relationship. So I'll tell you, I guess, what my challenge is, and you you both can respond to this. Over time, I've come to realize that the most meaningful things that we do in life, or that, at least for me, are the things that are slow, incremental, but also constant. I mean, really constant. You know, it's, it's one thing to have an inspiration. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And like, but those things are fleeting and not lasting and, and like, like temporary. They're just not, you know what I'm saying? You had a great time and, and it's over. And it just, it seems to me that this season of tshuva is exactly the opposite of that. That like ideally, yes, of course, ideally we should all be building and doing, so, you know, we say slach lanu every day and every day, every, I mean, like maybe ideally, like the idea is to adopt, you know, I think Carnegie wrote in his book that, that the best thing you can do is to take 10 minutes at the end of your day and to write in your journal how your day was, to have that introspection every single day. Maybe we should do that. But just the idea of like approaching Krish Malamita. What? It's called Krish Malamita. I need the Carnegie to tell me that. You know, we we say this, we reflect on that. That's our task every night, every day, every moment. I don't think to me that's not that's not realistic. Every day, every night, every moment. I mean, uh, I'm just not that, I'm not that reflective. Maybe I should be, but I'm just that. not. Anyway, uh, great. I mean, if you're able to do that, that's great. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about oh, it's Shuva season again. So it just seems like I'm going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I understand what you're saying, and I totally agree with it, obviously. But that being said, it seems to be where, to me, I'm approaching another season where, where, where hopefully it'll be meaningful and hopefully I'll, be, I'll feel good about myself after Yom Kippur. And I, I do feel that I've grown over the years, but not in that area. I don't know. I, I'm looking for, two, like, I'm a very practical person, like you said. I need a tool. I need a guide. I need a whatever. You know what I'm saying? That will that will at least put me on this path that I feel like, okay, it's not like, and I don't mean something incremental like, okay, I'm going to bench every day more carefully. Or, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something more fundamental. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I want to say two things. What, I want to say yes and, right? I think one thing is that I, 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 don't, I wouldn't minimize, even if there isn't that practical change, I think the fact that really like the whole image of like, Yom Kippur Rosh Hashanah is this giant purification mikvah process, Mayim Tahorim. Like, just the fact that we dunk in that state once a year is, is valid in and of itself, even if there isn't the, that practical change. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like bringing ourselves back to a certain baseline. You know what I mean? It's like a reminder. Every year, you're going to have a super intense, like, spiritual striving to be close to God. And by the way, I wouldn't discount the metaphysical stuff that's going on. Like, I believe that stuff. I, you know, like, again, like, read Allah Shuvah. Like, we need Kapara, we need Tahara. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us that opportunity year after year. That's not a small thing. That's not trivial, right? Even if you're just back to where you were, like, last Rosh Hashanah, Yom Gipper, right? The fact that you're, the, the sins of this previous year were erased. And the fact that you have been now, reborn or, or, or however you want to describe it repurified that in itself is not a small thing so i i would 
right? The reset is definitely valuable, but I'm not talking yeah. about that. You're talking uh, okay. about. But, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, I told you know. Don't understate the re spiritual spiritual reset and spiritual reconnection with God and spiritual recharge is huge. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and think about like I don't know how your last Yom Kippur was, and you know what happened. Like I'm 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 thirsting and longing to go back to the tefillot that I that that I didn't have last year because I I'm, I still miss it, and it's a year later. But I oh I to relate to your question. So I think that there that I have a book next to me that I haven't read yet. It's called Tiny Habits. Maybe it's over there. And it it basically is what you're saying, which is like if you really do want to make practical changes. How can you do it, right? And so here I would also say, like, and this I will give credit to Arya Ben David and his Ayeka program. He has a system where he says, like, um, um, wh where's my challenge, right? Um, I don't remember it right now. I know this is cold in the past, but I don't remember it exactly now. But where do I want to be? And what's one small step I can take to get there, right? What's one small step? And I think that idea, and I think the, the, um, the point of this book, it's called Tiny Habits, is it's basically what you're saying, which is the, the most powerful change comes from figuring out how to make the, the smallest incremental change that we can possibly make that, that actually we, we will actually do, right? How can we make it easy? How can we make it accessible and actually do it? And so, like if that's something that's important to you, pick one thing, right? Pick one thing that you want to work on and then think about practical um, steps. Like, like, like it says, like, you, you know why you want to jog every morning. What's stopping you from jogging every morning? Ugh, I don't like uh, putting on my sneakers. Well, how about if you put your sneakers right next to your bed so that you put them straight on? Like, how can you make this as implementable as, like, how can you break it down to the smallest practical change, implement that, and actually do that and start really small? I think that that's just a really fundamental truth that, like, if... Pick one small thing and do it. Johnny, what do you think? What, what would you say? I think, you know, there's a story about the people of Helm. It's a well-told story, but it's a good one, where somebody has lost an object and they're scouring around looking for whatever they've dropped, a coin or an earring or a ring or something like that. And a passerby comes along and they join them. They start looking for whatever's been lost. And after a few minutes, the passerby asked the original individual, you lost uh, the item around here, right? And they said, no. I lost it over there by the bush where it's dark. And they said, so why, why are we looking here? And the response was, because it's light here. I think we need to know kind of even the region where we need to be looking, you know, uh, the task of the Yamim Noraim is to dig within ourselves into understanding who we are and who we can become. But uh, even that total audit has to begin somewhere, and ideally somewhere which is somewhat relevant. So uh, in terms of me, and I'll, I'll be very, very uh, candid, uh, I'm generally somebody who's very, very muckpit about, about timelines, about getting things uh, on time and arriving places on time. This past year has been really hard in terms of focus. There have been a couple of projects that have run late, however hard I've worked. I feel bad about that. So one of, I'm going to try and pull up those socks of improving things that have fallen this year for perhaps understandable reasons. If I've let down people, I'm certainly going to be contacting them. I already have a list. Um, 
uh, and I time grab opportunities once in a while to say to myself, who did I speak a little bit sharply to? Uh, and uh, what things could I have done better? And where could I have made improvements? And then by building that list, <clears throat> it helps me gr bring greater clarity to where I went wrong and also to how I can make improvements for the future. Okay, we're going to uh, take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to sort of switch gears. We're going to ask Molly about apologies. And then we're going to do some quick hits on, on clever chuva conundrums. So stay with us. This episode of RZ Weekly is brought to you by Kita for Home Plus. We all know families whose children are not studying in formal Jewish education for any number of reasons. Could be COVID, could be the school wasn't right for them, could be financial, but they still are looking for a meaningful Jewish learning solution for their children. That's why we created Kita for Home Plus. Kita for Home Plus is modeled after the world-famous Khan Academy using flipped learning, YouTube videos, and Google Forms to allow children to learn classic Judaic subjects, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, on their own time, on their own schedule, in a way that's exciting and meaningful for them to learn. We're starting a new semester of Kita for Home called Kita for Home Plus, in which children will learn three courses, Mishnah, Chumash, and Gemara, each week, plus have a Zoom lesson to meet with the teacher, that would be me, as well as interact with other students in the class. Kitab for Home lessons are designed for students in middle school from grades five through grades eight and focus on basic skills, decoding of text, understanding of shorashim, critical skills that children need that serve as a foundation for Jewish learning throughout their lives. To learn more, log on to kitah.org slash home plus. That's kitah, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G slash Home Plus. And now, back to the show. Okay, we're back. Uh, Molly, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to uh, delay the apology discussion until now. <laughs> you like that? That was clever. See what I did there? I see what okay. you did there. You see what I did there. So we are talking, we're talking about <laughs> Shuba and introspection and, and myself. But one big part of, like, one, one half of Shuba is Beit Adam Lechaveru. And the Rambam says, based on the Mishnah, that you, no, there's no kapara until et chaveiro. To you, the ratzot means to appease. Okay? Uh, my microphone is fine, Johnny. I'm good. Okay? So we're all good. Okay? Until you, achi et chaveiro. The engineer is uh, giving me signals. Hey, Molly, you hear me? Just yes. making sure? Okay, great. Um, what does that mean, le ratzot? And how, how does one do that? What, what is the way that an apology is meaningful. One of my conundrums is like, what do you do to, we'll talk about this, blanket the people that send you on the WhatsApp. If I wronged you this year, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, if you wronged me this year, then you should probably tell me what you did. Uh, you know, so what, what do you think, Molly? What is a, what is, what are the components of a proper apology? Okay, so uh, th that's my um, opportunity to talk about this book that I just read called When Sorry Isn't Enough, Making Things Right With Those You Love. Um, and it's written by the same people, Gary Chapman, uh, this time with Jennifer Thomas, um, um, who's the author of a very, very famous book called The Five Love Languages, which I don't know if people are familiar with, but basically the theory of the five love languages, there are five ways in which people experience love. They, it's, I'll just run through them, but I won't explain them now, but just so you understand the context. 
acts of service, right? Doing things for people, verbal affirmations, right? I love you. You mean so much to me. Um, physical contact, right? Some people need a hug. Quality time, um, right? Some people feel loved when they when the person invests time in them. And uh, gifts, right? For some people, that's their love language. Some people like to give gifts to express love. Some people like to receive lo- gifts when they express love. But the point of the book is that everybody has a unique love language. And the person that you're with, right, your partner may have a different love language than you. And so the idea behind the book is understand your own love language so you know what you need and understand your partner's love language so that you know what they need. So that when you're trying to give and receive love, you're not only speaking your own language, but you're speaking the, 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 the language of the person that you love. Now, it's, it's, it's wonderful and I recommend it to everybody. But the, the, the reason I'm introducing it that way is because they, then they wrote another book about apologies called When Sorry Isn't Enough, based on the same basic format, which is basically they, they believe that there are five apology languages. There are five components to a successful apology. That's why I would say it. Say it. And their argument is that different people um, are, resonate more, I would say, with different components of the apology. So when you're, when you're apologizing to someone, it's important, first of all, to be aware of what goes into a full apology, but also to be aware of what the other person really needs to feel fully apologized to. So I think this is really relevant for your for this issue because it helps us clarify, wait, wh- what does it mean to ask Mechila? Right? What, what should that mean? And how should I go about, if I sincerely want to apologize to somebody, right? H- how, how should I do that? So it's, it's actually quite fascinating when you compare it to, you know, uh, the Rambam and Aziba Racheid, Vidoi, Charata, Kabbalah, Latid. There's a lot of similarity, but just to save time, I'm going to just tell you what those five pieces are and then you know you can reflect upon we can all reflect upon how that can translate into our chuva process and our apology process so the first is expressing regret and that's the emotional component which is being aware that you hurt the other person right and expressing that right i know that what i did gave you pain and it gives me pain that i gave you pain right sharing with the other person that regret about the damage that you inflicted on them, that emotional damage that you inflicted on them. That's that's component number one. Component number two, accepting responsibility, meaning I was wrong, right? I did this wrong thing, which sounds so obvious, but many people can apologize without saying that. They might say, I'm so sorry that you feel that way, right? Or here, you know, I forgot to... Um, Pay, you know, I was I was late with the payment. Here's the payment. Instead of I, I I should have paid you on time, right? It's hard for people to admit that they were wrong, but it's a it's a fundamental component of 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 apologizing of, of and I would say of tshuva is, is is being willing to accept the responsibility. And it's not easy to be able to say the thing I did was wrong, right? I I, I take responsibility for what I did. I should not have done it. I did this wrong thing. And for many people, if that piece is missing, they will not feel apologized to. The third is ma- making restitution. How can I make it right? Right? I think that's kind of just obvious. You have to, like, if, if, if there is a way to, to, to fix a wrong, you owe somebody money, um, or you, it, how can I make amends? Right? But, but, but you can ask the person, like, is there anything I can do to make amends? Um, I, 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 I was late to, to doing this. Is there anything I can do to make up this missed opportunity? Whatever it is. Um, the fourth, interestingly, their language is repentance. Um, and I was like, oh, I wonder what repentance means. And then I was like, oh, repentance is chuva. <laughs> like, literally, repentance is chuva because repentance is mm-hmm. wanting to change, right? Meaning, 
it's not enough to say I was wrong I'm, and I'm sorry that I hurt you. It's I won't do it again in the future and I want to change. And this, Ruby, goes to your practical thing. This is like totally the Rambam, like you said. It's it is. Like totally it's Mamash. It's Mamash. It's the Rambam. It is. Um, but what, what they say, and this is good for you, is state your intention that you want to change, right? I, I, um, I yell too much. I want to yell less, right? And then plan for implementing the change, right? That goes back to your thing, right? How am I going to practically yell yet less? It's not enough to just say, like, oh, I'm so sorry that I hurt you. And it's not enough to say, like, I know that I yell. It's I want to, to yell less. And what practical steps am I going to take so that I, will, that I can actually be a calmer person around you or that our discourse can be different? Right, and then actually implementing the plan, right? So that's Mama Shuva, right? Um, and then the fi- the fifth one, which I found was interesting because Ruby, I know one of your conundrums is like this empty, like, oh, will you mochami, will you mochami? But it's actually a component of of uh, in, in in their analysis, a component of of apologies is request is requesting forgiveness, asking, will you forgive me? Right? Pe- there are people who feel that if they haven't actually heard those words, somebody says, I'm sorry. And I really feel bad about what I did, and I'm going to do better. But they don't say, I'm asking you for your forgiveness. They don't feel fully apologized to. And to me, that was very powerful because I don't think that's one of my five love language, five, I think I need uh, the expressing regret and the accepting responsibility. I think for me, those are the most important aspects. But it explains why this, like, you know, Yom Kippur thing of, are you mochami, are you mochami, are you mochami, exists. No, it doesn't explain that. That doesn't explain that. Look, I'm just That's saying, not... I'm, it's a limud schus on that minhag. Because what it's, what it's saying is, people really need to hear, right? Um, will you forgive me? Do you forgive me? That's, it's, it's another piece of the apology kind of format. And, and I'll just close by saying that the, 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 one of the things they say, which is really beautiful and ties into what we were saying before, is that... There's a difference between an apology. Basically, they say, what is, what's the point of an apology? So the point of an apology is not to write an injustice, right? You can write an injustice by doing all kinds of other things. The point of an apology is to rebuild a relationship, right? That's, that's the point of an apology, right? If I, if, I, if I steal from someone and then I put the money back in the bank or, 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 I, I, or, 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 I, or I commit a crime and I go to jail... That's not an apology, right? That's that's maybe correcting an, an injustice or giving restitution. But an apology is because I want to rebuild the relationship with the person that I wronged or that I harmed. And to me, that's really powerful as, as a fundamental part of the chufa process because, as you said, right now we're thinking about apologies, but I think we also have to apologize to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and we have to apologize to ourselves, right? And they actually have a piece about apologizing to yourself. Because it's really, tshuva is really all about rebuilding relationships. Rebuilding relationship with yourself, rebuilding relationship with the other, and rebuilding relationship with God. Johnny, with that in mind, I'll turn to you. I'll give you one of my, I'll give you one of my conundrums, and then you can comment uh, on what Molly was saying. With that in mind, do you think that there's a value to a blanket apology? I mean, you say to a person, listen, Johnny, I, I, like, I don't know, I don't, uh, we have a close relationship, and I'm sure I did something to you over the past year that I can't remember. And uh, do you forgive me if I hurt you? Are you mochel me? And I really mean it, but I'm not apologizing for anything specific. So uh, um, I think there is value, but with a slight tweak. Because the way you just said it, you weren't interested in me telling you how you may well have hurt me and you didn't realize it. 
It's totally understandable that at times, even amongst close friends and family, we do things and we don't know what we've done. Do we need to have Chazal, a conversation after this? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no, we don't. Chazal we do actually. Say, I have something. <laughs> if, if you've done something wrong, then you need to be mefayes and you need to be prepared to feel uncomfortable about that process. And if you feel it's unlikely to be successful, you should be creative in that process. But beyond that, if I have a relationship with somebody, and I think it's likely I've upset them, but I don't necessarily know why, having a generic initial conversation but being open to hear what they say. So say, I, I suspect I've upset you this year, and, and I don't know how, but I'd really want to, you to share with me if I've upset you, and in which ways, because I'd feel really lousy, like Mali said, that our relationship goes on to another year with uh, things being carried over that haven't been addressed. Uh, and that sense of, of humble conversation, I think, is incredibly valuable. But I just want to add a further thing, which is just as much as one should be thoughtful in approaching somebody to whom one has harmed, one also needs to be thoughtful in responding to somebody who has harmed you. And just as much as I would be dismissive of a yimoychel me, which people often rattle off, um, if somebody says that they've done something to harm me, whether I knew about it or not, and they apologize, nothing obliges me to say yes then, although certainly Jewish ethics oblige me to take seriously their apologies. So I'll, I'll share a very, very brief story. I think it's quite rare to have such a situation, but it's still worthwhile mentioning. Someone once approached from Elialopian and asked forgiveness. And he says, I can't forgive you unless I know what you did. Oh, that was one of my conundrums. With, that was another one of my ah, conundrums. Okay. Said us. So, so with reluctance, the man spelled out what he'd done to Rab Elia. And Rab Elia said to him, I can say the words I forgive right now, but in my heart, I know that I don't really forgive. He said, can you come back in two weeks? And during this time, I'll learn enough Musa. So when I say I forgive, I'll sincerely mean it. And I think most people can't necessarily be hanging, left hanging for two weeks. But if somebody's done something wrong, my processing of wanting to forgive them because I value that relationship may take more than two or three seconds. And sometimes we kind of expect, I've said the apology, so it must be they've got to say, fine, or we're good straight away. Sometimes it's not so simple. You need to go for a walk, you need to think about it, because a fake forgiveness does nothing to the richness of the relationship. Actually, all it does is add further misunderstanding, misrepresentation, and it's really, it's fake forgiveness as much as say, fake seeking forgiveness. So authentic seeking forgiveness is important, but so too must be authentic granting of forgiveness. Okay, Molly, you want to respond or? No, I agree. I just want to add one piece because it's the thing I've been like mulling over for a while, which is because Johnny raised this idea of forgiveness. Um, what they say, there, there's this like, like idea floating around these days that like you should forgive people blanketly like it doesn't matter if they apologize or not it doesn't matter if they're remorseful or not it doesn't matter if they're sorry or not oh that was a question that was a question i had should i do i need to forgive somebody for for doing something to me they don't feel bad about it and they're you know they're, I, I personally think no right i don't know what do you think so i think no too and i think it's i, I actually and and, and I, I felt very validated by the book saying the same thing the book was like no, no, no. 
you're supposed to forgive people the way God forgives you. But it's, I, I, I think they're Christian, the people who wrote this book. See, but that's not so good for us because Yom Kippur is mechaper no matter what, whether you say, whether you do tshuva or not. Well, some some things and some not, right? So Moshe Yom is mechaper for certain averos, and other, it's not until you apologize, until you um, do tshuva, and some it's not until you... You're said chaveiro, right? And again, and and, and it, you know, if, if you try that and he's not interested, and you try enough times, then God's like, okay, you did your you did your piece. But I think that there's something, and I think in the, this expression they called it like cheap grace to just be like, oh yes, I just forgive I, I, again. Like I find it most offensive in, in extreme examples, right? But there's this wonderful book which I won't name the book because I'm about to criticize it. But a Holocaust survivor writes about how she got to this place where she forgives the Nazis. And I'm like, it's not your place to forgive the Nazis. Meaning, there's a very... It's, it's actually, I agree with you. It seems very Christian to me that you... It's, it's you, a Christian, you, and, but, but even, a, there are even Christians who are like, that is cheap grace, right? If you read the book, they're like, Jesus did not say that you just forgive everybody all the time. He said, or maybe they're, I don't know if they're quoting Jesus or if it's, like, you know, a larger religious idea. They're like, a person who repents gets forgiven. And I think that, like, if a person is not doesn't go through their process of having regret and accepting responsibility, right? And even just those two things, I don't think that they have, I don't think the word forgiveness is appropriate. You can talk about letting, and, and they do say in this book, you can talk about letting it go, right? I, I don't want to carry, and this I totally respect, I don't want to carry a grudge. I don't want to carry anger with me that I'm taking with me. I want to release this. I want to give this to God, right? Let this person's sins be God's problem to deal with. I don't want it to be my problem to deal with anymore. But I don't think the word forgiveness is appropriate unless the, the person has actually expressed um, regret and accepted responsibility for what they did. And I think that's important because because I think I think it's very muddle-headed to just believe in this like blanket forgiveness without an awareness that, that, that that's not the right word, right? You want to say that I want to let go of hate you want to say, I want to let go of, of like stewing in, 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 in anger and vengeance? That's fine. But don't use the word forgiveness because I think it's, 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 it does a disservice to, um, to justice. You can't, you can't forgive people. It's not, did you understand what I'm saying? Unless they have. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, think I, I don't that. think the word forgiveness is the right word. Johnny, next conundrum. You. Did something behind somebody's back, speak slanderously about them, said something nasty, something you know they would find very hurtful. Okay, but they don't know about it. They'll never know about it. Except, of course, it's your Rosh Hashanah coming up and you want Mechila. Is it better for you to suck it up and deal with it and not, give, not get Mechila, but not hurt them by asking for an apology? Or are you obligated to inflict pain upon them by making them aware of what you did or said in order for you to achieve Tshuva? or Mechila? To my recollection, although it's been a while, um, this is a, a machloka between Rabbi Sol Salant and the Chofet Chaim. This question of, should you make somebody aware of something that they don't know you've done, but it's going to cause them uh, upset or distress, and who am I to offer any remark between those two giants? What I do know, though, is that the Rambam, in terms of his presentation of Hilchot Shuba, the Shulchan Aruch, uh, and the relative commentaries basically say that pius, that sense of seeking appeasement, must be measured based on, uh, or the method of pius should be measured on how you expect that person to react. Obviously, you may never necessarily know. 
But if I think by telling this person what I've done, they're going to be very, very aggrieved. Um, then, let's say, there are some who, who perhaps uh, question whether that should be uh, communicated. If I think they're going to be upset, but, but we have a chance to repair this relationship, because right now they don't realize how distant we are, that's the point, then that's something certainly I should endeavor to do. And it's important to add that, just as Mali described um, tshuva as a process of relationship, the people who we need to seek tshuva for are generally those that we are in the closest of relationships. Oftentimes, people try and make peace with their boss or their friend um, or a colleague, and they fail to make time to have these conversations with their spouse, with their children, with their in-laws, uh, with their parents. And it needs to begin there because those are the relationships which often where we can do the most good but also can do the most harm. And those are ones that we need to begin with in terms of the process of repair. So I think I might have mentioned to you before, although we do it at a slightly different time, uh, not long uh, uh, before uh, Yom Kippur comes in, we as a family sit down and we have a very, very straight kind of cheshbon and nefesh as a family. We each go around and we talk to each other. And it's a very, very powerful way to go into Yom Kippur to remind ourselves that really it's based on how we talk to one another, treat one another, seek forgiveness for one another. Uh, and by doing that straight before we go to Shul and Yom Kippur, um, certainly it sets the tone for our family and something I'd recommend to others as well. Hmm. Wow, that's heavy. Um, I, I just contemplate thinking about, you know, how do you have conversations in front of the rest of the family? I mean, I, I just, you know, if you want to say something to one of your children, that maybe they're not, it's not, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? How do you manage that dynamic in that kind of situation? No, if there's something very specific that you feel isn't appropriate to be raised, then one should have that conversation privately. But we as a family make time to have family, com I mean, there, there are, are low-key things that can annoy one another that deserve being addressed uh, as a family, mm. you know, uh, and obviously there are individual things that certainly deserve being addressed privately. But having started this maybe five, six years ago, uh, it, it really is enriching to our family bonding because it's not just a family that does things together, you know, Stacey. It's one that actually accepts responsibility for what they do to one another and is prepared enough to say to somebody they love, I'm sorry. And they do it not as a laugh, not as a, will you make me? They say, mommy or daddy or son or daughter for that matter. I'm sorry I did that. Even sister brother? Yeah. Even brother? We, we do it. We, we do it. It's a prop. The whole family, each to, the, to each other, 100%. Uh, anybody wants to talk it through more, I'm happy to, to, to be there. Uh, all I know is that when I go to Kol Nidre, uh, there's a real sense of... Oh, you do that on Arab Yom Kippur? You do that at the Suda? Yeah. Yeah, we do it just after. Um, wow. And by the way, people should know, you know, you, you mentioned how it's Moshal Yom is Mechaper, Ben Kach Ben Kach. It's actually Rabbi Vadi Yosef from one of his Chuvotni Chavedat bring explains he brings uh, I've got it here somewhere actually Rabbi Shayao Pinto explains the position of Rabbi Lazar ben Azariah in in the Sof Masechet Yuma to be of the position that if you aren't Mavakesh Mechila from people Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't automatically give and then you have Rabbi Akiva who says but God does actually that he frames this debate. And that means as a Havamina, there's, a, there's an opinion to say that God doesn't automatically forgive unless you do that. 
And so it's really important not just to do that, but to educate to do that. That is, as a parent, not only do I need to seek forgiveness from people, I need to show my child that I, as an adult, am prepared to talk to a child and say, I'm sorry if I've done this, in a very sincere way. If we don't educate towards Mechila properly, then saying, me is the only thing a person's going to learn. And truth be told, it's shallow at best and meaningless at worst. Wow. Okay, that's, I think, a beautiful idea, a beautiful thought for us to wrap up uh, the year on, to wrap up Tafshin Pei Aleph. Be'ezrat Hashem, we'll be back in Tafshin Pei Bet. Next week is um, Rosh Hashanah, so we're not, obviously not going to record on Rosh Hashanah. Be'ezrat uh, Hashem, we'll find time to record on Aser Temei Tshuva, figure out how to do that, and then we'll take a Sukkot break. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners um, for responding and sharing their thoughts, and people have feedback and the people that have uh, shared our podcast with other people and helped us grow and expand. And uh, I'm not going to ask for Mechila in public, but I want to thank Molly and, Dave, and, uh, Molly and uh, Rabjani. I, I have to tell you, like, I think the reason why this podcast is successful as it is is because I enjoy the conversations. They're meaningful to me, and they're interesting, and we can talk about uh, important things and interesting things to me. And Bezat Hashem, we should, it should continue. Uh, we're at, what is it, 94? 95 now, I think. Uh, who... 95, right? Who would have thunk it? And Be'ezat Hashem, it should continue and it should be meaningful to our listeners as well. Uh, I guess I'll finally uh, conclude by thanking my son, as I always do, for writing our music. If you have comments or questions, you know how to reach us. We're not hard to find. Everyone should have a Shana Tova, a good, sweet, and healthy year.